we, we just need to support one another better. And I hope that this conversation can help other women, you know, very locally, as well as a little bit more further out, start to have conversations, start to open up, start to support each other. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome back, listener, to this week's episode of the Small Minded Podcast. This week, we're continuing our series of interviews with amazing, inspirational, just wonderful women that I have the privilege of knowing. And today's interview is with someone who I greatly admire and someone who I think we can all learn from. I sit down in this episode with Dr. Lauren Welter of Prairie Home Wellness and Counseling in Monticello, Iowa. And in today's episode, we talk about a lot of things mental health. We talk about how there is really a disparity amongst rural populations versus urban populations, and we just don't have enough access in these rural areas to mental health needs. And a lot of people in rural communities need mental health access because there is a need among agricultural communities needing that mental health and wellness support. There is a lot on the shoulders of rural women to take care of, and those rural women need support systems, which may or may not include counseling and therapy services. And we cover everything about how to get started with counseling, how to seek out support in various formats. We talk about Lauren's journey. We talk about my journey. And really, all of it is united by this desire to make mental health mainstream. and. That's something that I am always a big advocate of. I don't talk about it nearly enough, but I really do want to destigmatize this idea of turning to counseling as a last ditch effort because mental health is just like our physical health. It's something we need to practice and it's something we need to incorporate into our daily habits so that in times when we really need extra support, it's not that last ditch final straw kind of thing. It's this thing that we've been practicing all along, and then we have this person or these people in our corner when we recognize that something's a little bit off with our usual mood or our outlook on life, and then we know who we can turn to. These people know us in return, and we have the tools and the resources available to us to get through these seasons of just lowness like we all have. So... In today's episode with Dr. Lauren Welter, we share some of these stories. We share some of these tools that you can turn to. And most of all, I hope you hear that mental health counseling and support is totally normal. And I encourage everyone listening to seek that out going forward. But Lauren can explain it so much better than I can. So without further ado, let's dig into today's episode with my friend, Dr. Lauren Welter. Listener, we've got a hell of an April coming up. (laughs) So after much consideration and evaluation here at Molly Knuth Media, 
we have decided to create two unique offers for business owners looking for support going into quarter two of 2022. First up is Social School. This is for the business owner who is looking for marketing assistance and education. For the month of April, we're going to focus on simple storytelling in your Facebook and Instagram stories. And with our Social School version 2.0 program, you are going to get one week of short daily trainings dropped in your inbox so you can quickly consume and implement those instructions. We're talking less than 10-minute videos so that it's easy to digest and put into action for you. In addition, you're going to get 100 story starters so you can plug and play these ideas into your own plan, Canva template packs so you can create, brand, and schedule stories to your own accounts, and a monthly Q&A session with Molly. We are focusing on keeping you accountable and establishing those habits of showing up in your stories and really building that no like trust with your audience. And in addition, three people are going to go home with cash prizes if they stay accountable through the month with the grand prize winner taking home $222 in cash. For real. So that's social school for the month of April over at mollyknuthmedia.com slash shop. Look for social school. Now for the business owner looking for more than just marketing education and accountability, for that business owner who is in years two through seven looking to grow find her circle of people, elevate her business, turn it from a startup into a sustainable, long-lasting business, we're bringing in something entirely new with our MKM Business School. We are focusing on holistic life, work, and business balance. Each month, we're going to start off with a guest professor bringing us education on a focused topic, something like finding your why in business or business productivity. Then, We're going to bring in two guest experts or adjunct professors to host office hours throughout the month. So it might be that we bring in an HR professional to answer your hiring questions or an attorney to answer your legal questions. In addition, you're going to get a monthly hot seat session. You'll get first access to our MKM video training library, first access to our MKM business service provider directory. And if you sign up for three months of MKM business school, you'll also get a bonus one-on-one 60-minute coaching session with me, Molly, so we can talk about your specific needs and make a plan and a strategy around it. Now, both of those options, social school and business school, there are more details and the link to sign up for the program that is your best fit over at mollyknuthmedia.com slash shop. That's mollyknuthmedia.com slash shop for MKM social school and business school in April. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Lauren. I really appreciate your time. I know that your time is valuable, but I am so excited for our discussion about rural mental health today. Yeah, thanks, Molly. I'm really happy to be here as well. A little bit of a cold, so hopefully um, that won't bother us. We should be good. I just I just got tangled up in my cord, so we're good. We got this. <laughs> All right, so Mom can you life, tell right? us? Oh, geez. Yeah. You know, you just got to like go with the flow. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Dr. Lauren Welter. I'm a licensed psychologist and I have a psychology mental health practice here in Monticello, Iowa that I opened up about four years ago. So we offer um, therapy and counseling services. So there's myself and I have another um, master's level mental health provider. And 
You know, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding about mental health, about sort of the differences between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. So what I specifically do is what we call talk therapy or counseling or psychotherapy. They're all the same names, but really, or sorry, different names for the same thing. And the basic idea is I meet with people one-on-one, usually for about an hour at a time, once a week for a while, however long they need to work through life stressors to sort of come up with different ways of thinking, different solutions um, to what I consider like human problems. So it's it's hard to capture. On the one hand, you know, in some ways I sort of like just talk to people all day long. I'm using air quotes. On the other hand, there's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of theories about um, how trauma impacts us, how substance use impacts us how to work with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, you know, sort of all those other things. And I, I think it's sort of the art and the science come together there that you form a human relationship and then use a lot of years of schooling to, to work with people to make their lives better. Oh, I think that is, it's a big ask to have you like say in a short little sentence what you do, but I think you did it so well. Like the end goal is to help people live full, meaningful lives. And then your process is to help them work through whatever they're doing or going through or and get them to that fullness that they're seeing. Yeah. And it's so variable what people need. I mean, really, sometimes people come for one or two or three sessions and they they really feel like they had a different kind of mindset or, you know, have a couple skills that they can use to to make life really different. Some people come for several years really intensively based on, you know, what they're working through. And so that makes it especially hard to say, you know, what we're doing on a given given day, given session. Oh, I am so excited. This is going to be a great conversation. So can you tell me, did you always find yourself drawn to this like human side of life, like digging into how people act? Did you notice that throughout your younger years too? Yeah. So my path um, into this field is not typical. Let's say it that way. So I, the answer to your question is yes. I, I always was sort of an observer, definitely, especially as a kid, much more introverted and sort of watching and noting and interested in humans and relationships and actually went into college thinking that I would do psych- be a psychology major. and. It, it took me a little bit to get back there. So you may know, Molly, but the others don't, that um, I actually was a business major first and worked in finance and actually lived in New York City and worked on Wall Street and had what I jokingly but seriously um, consider like a quarter-life crisis. So I did that for a few years right after college. It was really, really overwhelming, stressful, fast-paced. Um, I had gone through some traumatic events in my life right at the end of college. And then that plus this like overwhelming big city, hundred hour a week job, I started to experience my own anxiety and um, sought some mental health services and had a really bad experience and then a really good experience. So I met with a mental health provider that was um, not good and actually probably made things worse. And I was like, I am never going back to anybody ever again. And then things got worse. I started having some panic attacks and like not getting help wasn't an option. And so then I found this other woman and she was amazing. And I, my life changed as a result of working with her. And so it, 
part of what happened there is yes, we worked with the anxiety, but mostly I think she kind of helped me come back to myself and my core values. And that was this interest in helping people and helping people in this really specific way. And so, you know, the short answer is that I always probably should have done this, but I wasn't old enough or wise enough or mature enough to really trust myself. And I had to kind of take this other path to get there. But so I left my New York City life and moved into my parents' basement in Iowa City, Iowa, and uh, went back to school. And uh, now here I am. And I just, I love it. It's really the path that I was meant to be on. And I, I have no regrets. I needed to have those other experiences in order to get here, in order to feel like like I really know what it's like to be on the other end of this experience. And it it's, um, I think it just enriches the work that I do. And yeah, that's, that's how I feel. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is actually a, I did not know all of that about your story. How fascinating, but, and B, I just was, um, talking with another podcast guest yesterday. And we had a similar conversation about how her path was kind of circuitous and like she ended up in a place where she never thought she would be. But we had a discussion about how like oftentimes those are the things that we needed, like you kind of alluded to, those are the things we needed to experience to inform us at this point in our life. Maybe that's called wisdom, but like <laughs> looking back at like the steps that we took and like, oh, that allowed this door to open and that allowed this door to open. And then all of these little doors led me to where I am today. And I hear a lot of that in your story that you just shared, because like you said, going through those experiences and feelings, I would imagine helps you empathize and advise some of the people that you work with today. Absolutely. And, and to be clear, I'm not sitting in my sessions, typically sharing, you know, my own personal struggles or mental health experiences, but as appropriate, I'll share elements of my life to help people understand that I really do get it. But I, it, 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 I think it's just sort of deeply ingrained in me that I trust this process, that I I trust that lives can get better. I've seen that happen in my own life and like countless other people's lives. And I'm not just applying a prescription or, or going through the motions about it. Oh, I think. And like you said, in the beginning, there's an, a science to it, but there's definitely an art. And I can hear that in your response. Another thing that I thought was important that you brought up was talking about your experience with the two providers, the one that was kind of a not great experience. And then the other that allowed you to really work through what you were going through and show you a path forward. Um, So can we, I don't know how to touch on that other than to just highlight the fact that sometimes it might take a couple of different providers. If you don't vibe with one, maybe try another before ditching everything. Yeah, I'm really glad you picked up on that. And I think you you kind of came to the answer, but it 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 therapy is so interesting because it it's a human relationship through which the science can be applied, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the fit really matters. So there are a lot of different approaches to therapy. And, you know, some have more scientific background than others. Um, but there there are tons of studies that compare like what works in therapy. And one of the number one things is, do you feel like you have a good relationship with this person that you're going to work with? And do you think they can help you? And so some of that is 
Does their approach match what you want? And some of it is, do they have credibility? Do they have training? Do they have people skills? But yeah, you're absolutely right that the average um, person that's going into therapy, I would say is probably reluctant, especially in a rural area. We really, we do have a lot of stigma and we'll, I think we'll get into that more deeply, but most people are reluctant. They're uncertain. They're, they're vulnerable. You're not calling me because life's going well. (laughs) And so if you get in a room with somebody that doesn't listen, doesn't empathize, doesn't validate your experience and doesn't seem to have anything to offer you, it really can make things worse, not better. And so what I would say to listeners is trust your gut. If it doesn't feel helpful, it probably won't be. I would, I would say if you can give it two tries, at least maybe three. I had a a professor that said you need to go five times to decide if they're good or not, but I don't know. I might be able to judge. I, I would hope we don't have to go five times, but but the first session is, it's different. It's awkward. It's more of a, um, an interview. It's more going to be you as the client giving the therapist information. The interventions are not likely to come too much in the first session. So you want to just give it a little time, but if it doesn't feel like it's going to be helpful, it probably won't be. And there are lots of other good providers out there, but like any, any profession, um, some are going to be better than others and some are going to be better for you. So it is a little bit different than, you know, if I'm getting heart surgery, you know, I might not care if the, if, if the doctor is like super personable, if he knows what he's doing with his scalpel, um, our work is a little bit different and the fit really does matter. I, I think it, it is harder in rural areas because there are not as many options and so it it can be true that if I go to somebody and they're not a great fit, there might not be a lot of other options that don't require me to drive 45 minutes or an hour, and that might not be doable. And so you kind of have to weigh all that, but it, it great question, Molly. And I think so important for clients to know that what they need matters and that they can ask for that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very different kind of relationship than you know, your doctor or your dentist who's going to like diagnose it and then give you a prescription or a pill or whatever, like we're going to work together to come up with some ideas that you have to practice outside of session. You can't be passive. You need to, you know, take the work and run with it, but also within sessions kind of be able to say to a therapist, that's not working for me, or that is working for me, which is hard. Oh, yes. It's hard. Like you said, a lot of times people aren't coming to you when they're feeling like they've been on top of the world. They're coming to you in moments where they need support. And it's like, there's that layer too of like, sometimes there's an element of people like just having a hard time sharing their feelings. Like I know I'm one of those people where like, I don't like letting that wall down. And so there's, yeah, you got to get through that and having a person on the receiving end of, as the counselor, just like you said, somebody can have all the credentials that look great, but you have to have a good vibe with that person because you're going to be sharing and you're going to be letting walls down and you have to feel comfortable. Absolutely. And, and in case I forget to say this later, one thing that is, I think, really exciting for those of us that are in rural areas is the way that, uh, the COVID pandemic has impacted our access to telehealth. So you could be, you know, sitting in Cascade and you could have a therapist in Dubuque or Des Moines or Fort Dodge or anywhere. 
soon, I think we will likely see some movement towards cross state practice. So you can have a therapist in Florida that you're working with right now, every state navigates the licensure issues. So that is going to expand our access as rural people to more options. I think, unfortunately, there, there's a lot about rural life that you need to understand in order to be helpful. Mm-hmm. I was on a panel a little bit ago about um, uh, rural mental health or, you know, agricultural mental health. And, um, you know, some big city therapists may not understand the dynamics of a farm family and, and therefore might not be able to be as helpful. So we want to be cautious that when we maybe have more access that we're still finding that fit, but I'm hopeful that there can be, you know, more options for those of us in rural areas as a result. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to ask about the availability that has opened up due to like some of these, like I hear a lot about better help and like these online subscriptions, which we can dig into in a little bit, but yeah, I was, you're on the right track. I was totally going to ask about that. Um, okay. So what brought you from, so you were in New York city, you decided you were going to come back to Iowa, pursue a different career path. And then how did you go from Iowa city, which is for people who are outside the immediate Eastern Iowa area, Iowa city is a college town. It's like 30,000 population in the summer. And then when the university of Iowa is in session, it balloons to like 60, 65,000 in population. And then in contrast, like go 10 minutes away and you've got towns of like 500, 2000. So <laughs> it like, it doesn't take long to go from this urban, like size is relative, but it doesn't take long to go from this urban setting into a very rural community. So what was that path for you? How did you come to be in a rural community like Monticello from Iowa City? Yeah, yeah. So again, I think my my path is probably unique, um, but I came from the big city, um, came back to Iowa, was doing my training, sort of thought like, I'm going to get out of here again. I was applying for the next step. We have um, at the end of our six-year PhD program, you have what's called an internship, but it, it, it's essentially the equivalent to like a medical residency. It's only one year though. So the same match system. You apply all over the country and then some algorithm matches you up with a school based based on um, who likes whom. And um, so I applied almost all to big, big cities and thought I would be out of here. And then I met my now husband, who is a sixth generation farmer at a country music concert here in Monticello. So again, for those of you that, that are here, you'll know the Great Jones County Fair brings in these great musical artists. And my friend, my PhD friend and I came up on a Thursday night thinking we're just going to hang out, go to the concert. And I met this guy and now here I am. So I I will say I grew up in Iowa. I lived, you know, most of my life until I went off to college in Iowa, but I knew almost nothing about agriculture. I, you know, the extent of my agricultural experience is I did one day of detasseling and um, I was like, I was nauseous and hot and like itchy and, you know, was like, I'm not doing that again. Like, so I knew, I mean, jokingly, but seriously, I knew nothing about agriculture, which is, which is really shameful almost and sad that, you know, our, this is a major 
part of our state and our economy and our, you know, our history. And I was in a little bubble in Iowa City. And 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 so I met this man and um I still did not think that I would have a small town practice. I when we first got married, I was continuing to commute down to Iowa City. I worked for the Iowa City VA. Then I was working in Dubuque. So, you know, two of the urban centers that are nearby us and really thought I would be, I I just thought it would be complex to be a small town psychologist that, you know, if you only have 4,000 people in your town and some big chunk of them are your clients, that's complicated. And Mm -hmm. um, so there just was not a lot of flexibility in my the the job that I had working in for a bigger company. And when we were um, preparing for our second child, I just, I just knew I wanted something with a little more flexibility. And I actually had a handful of clients coming from Cascade, coming from Monticello up to Dubuque. I'm like, why don't we all drive to Dubuque when, you know, when there's such a need here in rural mm-hmm. areas. And it definitely felt like a risk, Molly, because um, there is a stigma on mental health here. And even, even sometimes when people found out who I am and what I do, they're, oh, you're the, you're the shrink. You're, are you, are you analyzing me? Like, are you going to tell me, you know, what I need to do with my life? And I was a little nervous that maybe there isn't any, maybe people won't want my services. And that it has not been true. I opened up my practice in March of 2018 and almost right away had more more need than I could serve. And so it's just been such a gift to me. I think that the dynamics of a small town, the dynamics of working with agricultural population are really unique. And many of the people that I work with, they just wouldn't go elsewhere. They wouldn't make the time, take the time to drive to Dubuque or drive to Cedar Rapids. And it's so rewarding to get to serve people right here and and hopefully provide really, really high quality care. Oh, I think that, yeah, Mm -hmm. you, you just are serving a need in a place that just is, I mean, conveniently it's where you live nearby too, but it's also a very, I don't, I feel like underserved Mm -hmm. area. It it is. And that's, what's tough. Like I, by virtue of, I I always want to just make sure that people know that you know, I'm not a saint. And this wasn't like out of the goodness of my heart that I just relocated to small town Iowa to serve the population. You know, I wish I was that, I don't know, selfless or something. But, you know, I am here because, because I met my husband and farms don't move. And I wouldn't have chosen this, but it, it's, it's a more rewarding path in a different way, because there is such a need. And, and I, one of my biggest goals, I guess, over the course of my career is to really normalize things. And 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 of course, I'm one person, I'm just gonna have one little part, but I really do think we can have a ripple effect. If, you know, the if I touch a few people, and they start to tell their friends that, hey, mental health is cool. Um, I got better. It's not scary. It's not weird. You don't have to be embarrassed going into her office. That can really change things. Because then oh, they tell their friends, sure. and then, right? It, it, and one of the, one of the biggest things is that I um I, I want people to know that coming to therapy, needing mental health support, is not a last resort. It's not something you do when you're at the end of your line or when you're crazy, or um it, it's something that everyone could benefit from. 
And hopefully you don't wait until it gets really, really bad, but you come before then so that it doesn't have to get really bad. Oh, I think that there's so much in what you said that is, I think, going to really connect with a lot of our listeners because so just your most recent passage that you just said, like, it doesn't have to be that you're at a point where you're at your wit's end or you feel like there's no other options. That's, you can seek support before that. And sometimes Mm -hmm. like, I'll just share a little bit of my story. Like I went through a hard time in my life and like, I thought I was really coping well. And then I was just in conversation with someone who I really trust. And we were just having a good conversation. And she's like telling me about some of her experiences and how she started seeking counseling. And she just noted, like, it wasn't like I wasn't happy. And she's like, it wasn't like I was feeling depressed or couldn't get out of bed. I just realized that I wasn't having feelings the way I probably should be. I wasn't feeling the joy. I wasn't feeling the anger. I was just feeling neutral about everything. And I was like, whoa, I think that's me. And I was, I could feel that in my own story. And then after I had gone through counseling for a few sessions, I was at a table of other women who are rural women and we were just having coffee. And I, somehow the topic came up of counseling and therapy. And I said, you know, I've gone and it's really cool. And every person around that table was like, you know, I did too at one point. And then we were like, how come we don't talk about this? It's just not something that's talked about. But when you can stand up and say, Hey, you know what? I've done this and this is how it's helped me. And it doesn't have to be like earth shattering. It can just help you notice some of your triggers and your habits and your coping mechanisms so that you, like you said, can take it outside the office, work through it. And then maybe next time you just are alerted to how you're maybe naturally reacting so that you can counteract that natural instinct and make better choices. Yeah, absolutely. And I I just think that being a human is hard. Our lives are challenging. And, you know, we joke sometimes, I think about like first world problems, right? There's a lot of things. I'll speak for myself. I have so many privileges in my life that prior generations did not have. And that many people throughout, you know, the US and, you know, the broader uh, world still don't have. But that doesn't mean that I'm not sort of maxed out psychologically at times. Our world is really different. And for many women, we have more to manage than we ever have before. I have a lot of thoughts on how, you know, kind of changing technology is, you know, helping us and hurting us. Um, but, But there's a lot of reasons that we are maxed out. And that's okay. And it makes sense. And um, it doesn't have to be that we're dealing with, you know, XYZ major crisis, although sometimes we are dealing with health crises and financial crises and trauma and, you know, all the things that come with the human experience. So one thing that I think people do, especially in rural areas, one of the things that, you know, makes rural people so strong is their ability to, to tough it out, to get through things, to sort of buck up, put on, you know, pull up the bootstraps, but it has a cost that sometimes it's too much. And again, maybe we don't have to wait until we're like at that breaking point. If we can shift the culture a little around mental health and say like, yeah, let's, let's, acknowledge how hard life is and, and 
get some help and talk it out and get some other strategies and that life feels better. Mm. Yes. So, I mean, we've talked about this several times, but what are some ways that we in rural areas, how can we make this? I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word normal, but how can we like mainstream therapy or normalize it or make people feel comfortable saying like, I have had this experience and I think I need more support. How can we, how can we do that for our other rural peers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Molly, it sounds like that experience you had with your friends at coffee is, is the way to do it. It's by saying, by speaking out, by saying like I did this and making it normal. I mean, it, it, it is hard that everyone at that table, it sounds like felt like they're not supposed to tell or like somehow needing this is a problem. And I, I just had this conversation with a client this morning. I, I know I'm biased because this is what I do for a living, but I really feel the opposite. I think it takes a huge amount of humility and strength to say, I'm not at my best. I want to be better. Can I get some guidance here? Why should that be shameful or stigmatized? Yes. I, I think that that's how I believe it too. I feel like having conversations and taking, like, if anybody's listening today, like just this simple like experience of you driving to work or going on a walk or doing the dishes and you hear this message in the podcast today, like it's, it's great. Like go. And if you feel you need support, you know, find someone to help you or turn to your girlfriends and ask where they've gone before. Because I do think like, especially as rural women, like we need to reach out and support one another. Because like you said, so many women, especially I feel like since the pandemic, like we have just shouldered so much. And even if someone seems like they're doing okay, they might not be. And so we need to support our sisters and friends and give them a shoulder and tell them like, you know, it's okay to go seek out help additionally. Yeah. 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 And Molly, I think that's why it's important for me as a mental health provider to share that, that I've also sought mental health support, that it's not like, you know, there's a group of people that need it and a group of people that don't, it's that sometimes life is too much. And yeah, I guess I just hope, I hope that somebody out there, you know, takes that message and feels like, yeah, I don't need to be ashamed of this. And I think the other thing that I'll share for those that either have been in therapy before or haven't is that sometimes it just, you need it for a bit and then you kind of go off and live your life and then you come back and I'm really excited and hopeful that I can sort of stay put in this place for, you know, 30 more years or something. And that people can kind of come back and I'll know their story and we can kind of evolve together. One of the reasons that I wanted to open my own practice, in addition to having more flexibility for my farm family, is so that I can practice in a way that I think works. And what I mean by that is I don't have constraints by a system telling me how many people I have to see and how frequently and, you know, taking on more and more and more people so that you dilute yourself. But I'm able to adjust my schedule over time, not only to meet my own needs and my family's needs, but also to meet other people's needs. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that I have really enjoyed the opportunity to develop longer term relationships with some of my clients and to get to do 
for people who are interested, really deep transformative work because that doesn't happen quickly. Mm-hmm. If, if it was easy to change how we are in relationships and to overcome trauma and to overcome addiction, um, you know, we all would have done it by now. I think that's, it's a, yeah, it's a long-term lifelong process. And speaking for myself, I know that like my early sessions, we were definitely working through some more immediate things in my life. And then it did get to a point where I felt like, okay, I think I'm a little more like I I can see and I can feel that I'm improving and I can notice when I'm in a space where I might not be at my best. And so then just like you alluded to, like, I just, I didn't need sessions for a while, but I do think that the gift in going through this process is that you do have a level of self-awareness where you can detect when you're starting to slip into some of those old habits. And when you have someone nearby, I think that what you offer is such a gift for the reasons that you said, like you can have these long-term relationships and allow people to like come in and out as they need. Because I, like I said, I noticed a couple of years later, I was starting to have some of these old habits emerge. I was starting to have some of these old feelings come up again. And then it was as it could have been something that kind of spiraled, but I noticed it early enough that I was like, okay, I think I need some support. And it just took a few sessions again to kind of work through that. And I'm sure it'll happen again, but it was having that support and knowing who to contact and who to turn to and having that trusted person that really made all the difference. Yeah. And one thing that I always think is important to just put out there is that you know, therapy is not the only way through challenges. There's so many, so many ways, right? Like uh, having coffee with your friend, talking mm-hmm. to a faith leader, um, you know, praying to God, going to a women's retreat, you know, there's so many ways, but this is one way that actually has a lot of science behind it that, that works and that helps. And So just like every therapist isn't right for every person, you know, therapy isn't going to be right for every person. Um, But I have found it as a client to be, you know, so enriching and really transformative of my own life. And of course, feel so privileged to get to sit on the other side of that and, and to work with people every single day to help them do the same. I love that. So I love that you brought up that there's other avenues that people can turn to for support. When do you feel like, and I know there's probably no hard and fast answer to this, but when would it be a good move for someone to say, okay, I've tried like some of my own coping mechanisms. I've tried these other support groups, but maybe now it's time to make a phone call and get a therapist appointment set up. That's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, certainly if you are ever having thoughts of or actually, you know, harming yourself or thinking about um, ending your own life, that would be a time to call crisis resources. There is, you know, obviously 911, the emergency room are always available, but there is a crisis hotline in Iowa. Maybe Molly, you can put the number in the, in the notes. Yeah. Um, and, and that there, it's a 24 hour hotline that's always available. So that's of course, you know, in really extreme urgent cases. Um, but in general, if, if you're feeling like, uh, I, this is so generic, but, but like you're treading water, 
like things are not getting better or they're getting worse. So there's some sort of specific things we might want to look out for. Like you're not finding pleasure in the things that you used to. You're not having motivation to do the things that you used to. That would be, you know, one of the core signs of depression. I would say if you're having panic attacks and those of you that have had them know what they are, they're, they're horrible. And, you know, they're, they're not going to resolve on their own. You're going to need, you know, possibly medication. And that is another topic we can think about a little bit. There, there are medical interventions, but mental health providers have a lot of tools that can be used to work through those things. And they almost always get worse, not better. I think, you know, if you're, we're dealing with addiction or eating disorders, those are sorts of things where, you know, if you want, you can Google. And if you're wondering, do I have one of these problems? You know, Google probably could be helpful in diagnosing yourself. Um, but they usually don't resolve on their own. And those are some of the things that are likely to need, you know, more intensive work, but not always. And I think that can be a bit of a barrier. Sometimes people feel like, well, you know, it just seems too hard or it's too much or, um, and a good therapist or the right therapist for you is really going to work with you and talk through options. Like we might say, okay, my clinical recommendation would be you come every week for six months and we do these things. But if you don't want to do that, we can do option B, but I'm worried you're not going to get as much benefit from it. Um, it's kind of like your personal trainer saying, you know, if, if you really want to get in shape, this is what you got to do. But if you're not there, that's fine. We can do this other thing, but you're not going to, you know, lose as much weight, be as fit, whatever it is. So it's not a one size fits all at all. And I guess my, you know, our, our shared hope is that the listeners will recognize that you don't have to wait until things are terrible. You know, you, you would want to call when you want them to get better and you're feeling relative motivation to do that. I think that's perfect. When you just notice those things that you, I loved your analogy of treading water because that is definitely, I think a lot of people can, they can feel that. And that's definitely a time to assess. And like you said, make the decision that's best. Thank you for that insight on that. We are getting close on time. So like before we have to part, there were a couple of things that I did want to touch on a little bit more. And in particular, talk about like women in rural America. Well, I guess we're women in rural Iowa, but like we kind of alluded to, things for women in rural spaces have always been pretty demanding. Like historically, women have had to shoulder a lot of responsibility. And then with this recent like pandemic and school closures and balancing work and life and all the things, I've noticed a lot of like my immediate circles have felt a lot more pressure, a yeah. lot more like that, maybe that treading water feeling that you oh. just talked about. What are, if you can share, I should say, what are some things you're noticing about women in rural America? And are there any coping mechanisms or things they can be doing at home to help their mental state? Yeah. Yeah. Really great question. I mean, there is a lot of evidence that women and men, people generally are um, really overburdened uh, over the past couple of years that, but certainly disproportionately it's women that are doing the homeschooling, women that are taking on the extra responsibilities, women that are 
by and large, changing their schedules based on when kids can go to school and when they need to be home and when they need to, you know, go get tested for COVID, all that stuff. Um, all that invisible work that women do more of. And so I'm absolutely seeing that in clinical practice. And I think one of the, um, you know, again, it's a strength, but it's a weakness that rural life provides is this sense of like, I'm just going to pull up my bootstraps and I'm just going to do it instead of, uh, well, that, I guess that's part of it. The other, there's, there's an isolation. So kind of what you described with your friends at that coffee table, you've all struggled to the point that you sought therapy, but you've never talked about it with these intimate people. What that says to me is that somehow all of you guys are feeling like I can't, or I don't want to, or I'm alone here. And Mm -hmm. I, I think one of my biggest interventions, which, you know, isn't, I don't know, is this therapy is this, you know, scientific? But I think one of the biggest things, especially for rural women, is helping them know they are not alone. They are not crazy. They are not failing while the, all of their neighbors are, are, you know, rocking it. And I feel really strongly that women need to band together to support one another instead of recreating this hierarchy where we... um you know, collective we, I mean, this happens on social media, it happens behind the scenes. I think there is a lot of gossip and a lot of putting down of other women, Mm -hmm. which I believe is an attempt to make ourselves feel better. It's an attempt to say, well, I'm doing really well because this other person isn't doing quite as well. But what ends up happening is that we all suffer because we all, as women, working women, stay-at-home moms, we all have too much on our plate. And we all are doing amazing because it's really hard to be parents. And, it, you know, not everyone that's listening is a mom, but um, it's it's just hard. We have a lot on our plate and women's work is hard. And we are, we, we just need to support one another better. And I hope that this conversation can help other women, you know, very locally, as well as a little bit more further out, start to have conversations start to open up, start to support each other and to just look inside. And, you know, when we are criticizing or critiquing or pointing out things that others are doing imperfectly, try to be honest with ourselves about what is in us that might be making us do that. Because I think almost always, if not always, it's our own insecurities. It's our own fears that we're not measuring up. And what we really need is someone to tell us that we're doing an amazing job because we are. That was awesome. I 100% believe that there are people on the other end of this and they're receiving that message because you're doing awesome. Everybody's doing the best they can. I really believe that people are just doing the best. And if you take away from what Lauren just said, like it can be something as simple as like checking yourself the next time you start to participate in gossip or like don't send that like DM or like screenshot that picture and then send it to your girlfriends. Like it can be simple things like, and then that will just make you feel a little bit better. Cause like you said, a lot of times these actions might be stemming from a space in ourselves where we're feeling unworthy or not enough. And then we're trying to build that up by taking someone else down and even, yeah, like, so just those small things, not participating in those destructive or harmful decisions having those productive conversations, maybe just opening up in a trusted circle yeah, about your yeah. experience, those can make a world of difference to others. 
Absolutely. And I think that there's always this fear that, you know, if I share, you know, my story or my struggles, you know, I'm going to be judged. Um, and, and occasionally that happens, but almost always it's the opposite. Like, it sounds like, you know, what you did, Molly, at that coffee table and sharing about your struggles, um, probably really empowered other people to know that, you know, they're not alone. And, and again, I, I think we should flip this thing around, like seeking support is, is amazing to do for ourselves, for our, you know, families, for our broader community. Like there, there's no downside in my opinion. Um, again, I'm biased, but you know, and I think every time we share that message and whether or not you go to formal therapy or not, that, you know, that, that there are struggles, even when it looks great. And, you know, at some later date, we can talk about social media, which I know is, you know, part of, part of what you do. And there's so many good things there, but it, um, no one's life looks like their Instagram profile. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. We could have a whole other like one hour conversation about the ups and the downs of social because it definitely brings people together, but it can also be very destructive. And anyway, yeah. yeah. But a willingness, a willingness to be real, a willingness to be vulnerable. And um, in my experience, when we do so, we find that, that it really deepens our relationships. It helps people, you know, view us and trust us and open up to us. And I hope give space for other women to you know, to be imperfect and to be a hot mess sometimes, because I certainly am. Same here. <laughs> I, can I, can I tell one quick story? And I don't know if this oh, is, for sure. you, know, yeah. you can take it off the air if you want, but I just, I, in, in, you know, full self-disclosure, I was, um, at target, uh, recently, which I don't go to often. And a, a, a client came up a client that a wonderful relationship with, but it, it sort of knocked us both off guard a little. So I just wasn't expecting it. And I don't know what happened, but I walked out of there without paying. Like I put my credit card in. I thought I paid. I get my kid. I'm walking out and her husband had to chase me out of Target. And <laughs> um, so so modeling imperfection is part of what happens. Like I did I did pay for my stuff eventually. But um, when I see that person next, we'll, we'll talk about it. And none of us are perfect. And it's it that really shouldn't be the goal because that you know, then you don't have funny stories to tell. <laughs> I love that. Well, we are getting close on time. So why don't we let listeners know how they can connect with you? Um, and then we'll end with just a couple questions that I call the small talk round that perfect. Um, they just come in my head. So yes, go ahead and share with us where people can connect with you. Sounds perfect. So I have a website. It's www.prairiehomewellness.com. And I'm also on Facebook under Prairie Home Wellness. And we will make sure to link to that in the show notes. So it's super easy to click in and find this resource and talk to Dr. Walter yourself. Okay. So for the small talk round, this is just like questions that pop into my head. Like doesn't have to require a ton of thought. We're just going to go with it. Okay. So ready? Yep. Question number one, what's the best concert you ever saw at the Great Johns County Fair? Ooh. Oh, that's a good one. Tim McGraw? Yes, I think I was there that night. Was that the time that he jumped on top of like a car? It was really hot. And then he like jetted out of there. So maybe that wasn't good. But he's, you know, he's got so many oldie, oldie goodies, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, he wasn't very much of a showman. I think he wanted his money and he ran. 
<laughs> I think I remember that. That was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Question number two. If you're at the fair, what is your favorite fair food? Ooh, funnel cake. How Love about it. you? I always go for the corn dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. Late night <laughs> like, corn dog at the end of the concert. That's good too. Yeah. And I like try to limit myself. Like that's I'll have them like once or twice once throughout the year. year, but always yeah. at the fair. I'm like, I yeah. gotta go find that corn dog. Um, okay. Next question. What was your first job? Maybe it was detasseling like you talked about, but if it was something else, can you share? I actually worked at, so we were at a gas station and I would say it's called Deli Mart. It's a convenience store gas station. So my friend worked there first and then, um, we started working, making sandwiches behind the counter. And then we got, we graduated up to working at the cashiers, you know, that and we got to sell beer, even though we were like 16. <laughs> um, I guess that's legal. Oh, I love it was it. fun. It was, you know, I mean, we worked hard. We wanted our, you know, our shopping money. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I remember I was really busy. And as I look back, I, it's just like, wow, like I was, you know, I did school, I did sports. And then I, I mean, I was working these like eight hour shifts on Sundays. Cause I, I think I wanted some sweater from Abercrombie and Fitch and, and that's how you were going to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Last question. 2022. We're still in like the first quarter of the year. What is one thing you're hoping to accomplish in this year? It's a great question. So a friend of mine, another psychologist friend, um, amazing woman, she gave me this journal a couple of years ago. It's like a five-year journal. So it has just this tiny little piece, but it's for five years. You just put like a little paragraph every day. And I'm traditionally not good with New Year's resolutions or, or just like sticking to things. And so I am really trying to write in this every day because it's just this much. And it feels like, it just feels like a good ritual to check in every single day. And, and if I miss a day, that's, that's fine. But, um, I think, I think that that is really cool. And I hope that I can stick to it. Cause I've been waiting. I've been like, Oh, well maybe tomorrow I'll have time to start and da, 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 da. And it's like, no, time never comes. Um, it takes one minute. So that's been fun. Oh, I like that a lot. Well, thank you for being so generous with your time today course, and for joining Molly. us on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived being small-minded.